97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com slash workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we got my good buddy, Will Dennis here, Willie Numbers, and uh, he flew in from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to talk about how he's flipped over $75 million worth of real estate in his entire career. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. Now, we recognize running a sales team is hard work, even thankless at times. You've got to hold your people accountable to what they said they want. This might make you feel exasperated. If you feel like you're alone, I promise you, you're not. Ren and I were helping other business owners get through to their sales team to yield record performance even in this shifting market. If this sounds like it might help you, text LEADERS to 33777. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, Investor Lift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com and put in disruptors to get 10% off. If you get value today, please tag a friend below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. It's a live show, so please ask your questions for Will to answer. You ready? Ready. All right. So first question is, what was life like right before you got into real estate? Uh, I had just been fired from my job. I was a corporate America guy, so I literally just got fired. Um, what was the job? It, I was a commodities analyst. Commodities analyst. That, I was a junior trader. That sounds pretty... Um, I know that's a crazy business, but like that title just sounds like really brand. <laughs> yeah, it's big. Right? Yeah. So what did you do? I was on a hedge fund in New York. His hedge funds is a, a little bit more glamorizing. Yeah, it's a little more glamorizing. So mm -hmm. I was on an internal hedge fund mm -hmm. at Merrill Lynch that traded oil. So we would hedge a lot of bets um, okay. within the, the whole trades floor. Mm -hmm. um, I got an internship there, and then I got hired, and I was there for about a year. So I was on my way to become a real trader. I was a junior trader at one point, um, and I was margining a lot of you know big banks. It was institutional, so we would margin uh, Citibank and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I will say that at that time and during that tenure, one thing I took away was I was 24, and I did a margin call to Citibank, and I margin called them over $100 million. And within like four hours, the, the wire hit, and I saw the wire hit. Um, and I just remember how mind blown I was. And the first thing that went through my head, I was like, God, there's so much money out there. Um, a lot of money out there. And God, I'm so broke. <laughs> I was making like 78 grand a year living in New York, which is like negative 50 in, in reality. So that, that kind of stuck with me. So when I did get fired, um, I didn't know that I was going to go into real estate. It wasn't my first choice. It's not even what I studied. I have a background in finance. Mm -hmm. 
but I stumbled upon a podcast, which was actually Sean Terry's at the time. Yeah. Um, so before you get into that, that yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. um, so you said your background. You yeah. went to college for this. Yes. You have a degree in finance. Finance. Yeah. You went to college. Got yeah. a job. Yeah. Dream job. Yeah, I was on Wall Street. So on the way to dream. dream job. Yeah, yeah. It was like my dream that I wanted. Yeah. yeah. And so you're talking about you know seeing a hundred million dollar wire. So like for mm-hmm. me, in my part of my real estate journey was I was working with you know. Uh, all these different ways in real estate, but one of them was work was selling properties to hedge funds. Mm-hmm. And so Blackstone, yeah, was a pretty big fund. Big boy, and so they sent over this proof of funds. Like, hey, we want to buy your property. Like, okay, like, what do you got? Like, let me see the proof of funds. Right, <laughs> comes over it's like eighty six million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, same thing. Like, yeah. crap, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so you talk about you got fired. Before we talk about Sean Terry, let's talk sure. about what got you fired. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. So I was young, obviously, um, dumb, and you know, my whole life I've watched Wall Street. It was it was a passion of mine. It was a goal. It was an ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got there, you know, you always see the movies and this and that, mm-hmm. and you know, Wall Street where you know streets are paved with gold and this and that. And it you really could hustle your way if if you work hard in New York. An average week for me was a hundred hours a week. That was no problem. You know, I I slept on you know, beneath my desk, that was standard um, for, really? for that world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it really is leaving your office, especially when you're starting out. I mean, they treat you like shit mm-hmm. um, and so it's, it's expected. Like, so it's just like boiler room. It's just, yeah, a little bit. That's more of like a sales room. And that was, you know, that was a little pump and dump, but yeah, it really, you are, you but they know, treat you like you are the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve to be at the bottom until you prove yourself. Yeah. And it's it's more it, you know, Merrill Lynch is a great company. It's not like they go out of their way, you know, like to violate HR or anything like that. But it's more like a rite of passage. And the guys that are 20, 30 years senior, they've been through that. They've been through worse. So I guess it would be like the military, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Where like you gotta eat shit for a while mm-hmm. um until you graduate. But yeah, you start seeing people uh fail out real quick. Mm-hmm. So I was always talking to my boss. Um name was Jay and I won't say his last name, but I was always talking to him and I was trying to push and I was like, Hey, this is, this is what I want to do. Hey, could I do more? Hey, could I, you know, I, like I am right now with my own business, but in You're the corporate trying world, to, uh, push the envelope. Yeah. And you know, 24 year old punk kid, you know, I didn't have a beard, nothing at the time. So I probably seemed very annoying. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where one day he told me in a conversation, he's like, listen, I understand what you're trying to do, but you really need to stay in your lane. Um, and that irked the shit out of me. And I just kept pushing. And one day he told me, he's like, look, uh, either I'm going to fire you or you just stop, fall in line. This is it. Just ride the wave, you know, mm-hmm. until, until otherwise. And I told him, uh, I won't say what I said, but I, I said some nice, not nice words and I got fired. So that was <laughs> so that. You did not stay in your lane. <laughs> I did not stay in my lane. I, I, I veered off the lane. So yeah, that okay. happened. All right. So then you happen upon Sean Terry's podcast. So when, yeah. like, what year was this exactly? So I got fired in late 2015, maybe early 2016, okay. if I remember correctly. Um, All right. At that time, I had a friend who, because I moved back in with my mom. Mm-hmm. So now this is like a depressing stage of my back life. Back in Florida? Back in Florida. Okay. So now I'm back home with my mom. She's an immigrant. She's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Um, you can't live here for free. And I didn't this is come. not why we came to America. Yeah, this is not why we <laughs> came here. You better get your shit together. Yeah. Um, so anyway... And I, I had a friend who was buying and selling diabetic testing strips. Mm-hmm. And I know this is going to sound a little out of left field. But at the time, I told him, I was like, hey, I'll put up the bandit signs. And I didn't know anything about bandit signs. But I would literally go out in the middle of the night. I'd put up these bandit signs, and I'd take the calls in the morning mm-hmm. with my uh, business partner at the time. 
and as I was doing this, I would I would listen to podcasts. And one time I remember Sean Terry's, I think it was Flip to Freedom mm-hmm. was the podcast. Um, and I heard a guy in Miami that was on an interview that he had flipped like a bunch of real estate. He was like two years younger than me at the time. So I heard the podcast like three times and he left his office number there. So I cold called his office. Um, I lied to his secretary. And when I got him on the phone, um, I told him, I was like, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Just please don't hang up. If you teach me what you know about this business, um, I'll split my first five deals with you 50-50. And it was kind of a moment of silence. And he said, can you come in tomorrow at 11? And I was there and that was that. I I bankrolled everything off of credit cards. And that was that. So, you know, you talk about bandit signs for diabetic strips. Yeah. I see these signs periodically. Yeah. Is there really money in diabetic strips? Yeah, so look, the best thing I can say is it was a, it was a season in my life, and it's a gray area. But yes, well, I, you can make. I fully it. recognize the gray area. There's no yeah, question; yeah. it's a gray yeah, area. It's a gray area, right? Yeah. Is it actually like worth? If you weren't in real estate, is it actually worth the time? No, now no. it's not. Obviously, because okay. um, I've made other kinds of money in real estate, but it was enough to make me, you know, some weeks seven hundred a grand, mm-hmm. right? Where a guy that got fired and is unemployed is mm-hmm. making a thousand bucks a week. It was pretty cool. And I was running yeah. my own schedule. I was doing my own thing. I would literally just collect them. I would pick them up mm-hmm. and I would sell them on eBay yeah. at, at a markup. So tell me about, you, if you teach me everything you know, I'll split the first five deals with you. Yeah. So what did you learn? So he taught me how to make a list, right? What wholesaling was, mm-hmm. what real estate was to, to do it, you know, creatively. And he taught me how to make lists. He taught me how to speak to sellers. You know, he showed me the, the AB contract that mm-hmm. he used, just little things like that. Yeah. Um, I bankrolled it off of my credit cards. Um, I started with direct mail, which, by the way, anyone who's watching, not a good way to start unless you have money. Yeah. So It's I, good. Just don't start. Don't start there. Yeah. I, I wouldn't start there. It's like starting with probate leads. Yeah. I wouldn't start there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a longer grind. Mm-hmm. But I did that. And, you know, he would be on calls with me and stuff like that. Little things that I would learn, what to say at appointments, how to disposition them. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the buyer's list. I had nothing. So I think it was 91 days and we did our first five deals. So yeah. I was hustling, you know, from, from, from the very get go, I, I wasn't lollygagging because yeah. once I saw the first check hit, which was, I don't know, it might've been 6,500 bucks, mm-hmm. but it was like all the money in the world to me at the time all right. because I had done it. It was my own thing. And I knew like, Oh shit, if I could do this and this is part time and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I was just in New York a couple months ago. Like, this can scale. Sure. Yeah. So your first one was from direct mail? It was from direct mail. The first five were direct mail. Right, first five were direct mail. Yeah. And you did those first five deals with him? Yeah. Okay. Um, what were the challenges on those first five deals? So the first deal I ever got under contract, um, it was 10748 North Saratoga Drive. I still remember the address. So that first deal actually ended up, uh, the seller backed out. Mm-hmm. And so I get this contract. I'm all excited. It was a good spread. It was like a 30K pop at the time. And the seller decides to call me and say, hey, I'm not selling. And he hangs up the phone. So I didn't know anything about a list pendants or specific performance or anything like that. And he didn't want to pursue that. I, I don't think he really knew how to do that at the time. So it took a year. And that was my first deal. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up closing on it a year later. Mm-hmm. And I actually flipped it myself. Why? How did you close it a year later? I raised private money and I, I closed on it and I fixed and flipped it. And I, that was my first flip ever. But the guy didn't want to sell. So what did you do to get We it ended back? up suing him. 
Got yeah, it. we ended up suing for a specific performance, mm-hmm. and then he came back. I think we increased the price by like 10K, mm-hmm. and we still made a good deal. On your very first deal, you did a list pendants sue for specific performance. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, that's that's got to be a little discouraging. To say the least. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. um, I mean, I guess like real quick, because there's two things here we talked about. So yeah. for everyone that's listening, let's first explain what a list pendants is. And <laughs> yeah. after that, let's talk about specific performance. So you yeah. want to elaborate what those are. Yeah. So a list pendants or an LP is mm-hmm. a lawsuit that you're going to file mm-hmm. uh, against a property owner. So banks do it from a lender side mm-hmm. when somebody goes into pre-foreclosure or sure. delinquency. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much a cloud on title mm-hmm. that a lot, and it's attached to a lawsuit and right. you can force what you what you want to enforce, mm-hmm. where in this case, there was a contract signed. I had equitable interest in the contract, right, in the house, and I'm enforcing the sale because yeah, now so they're trying to back out. It's, you're, allow, you're, you're letting the public know mm-hmm. that there is a pending lawsuit on this property. Correct. Right. Exactly. Right, so then no one can record a deed on this property. Yep. Right. Okay. In a specific performance. Or, you, or that seller can't take out a loan. They can't do anything like that. Right. They can't refi. They can't do anything. Yeah. So in other words, you are first position. Mm-hmm. If there's a bank, you're probably second position, but you are first position in line. So if another right. investor was to come along or something like that, or they were to sell it with a realtor, you're first in line. Yep. So it's a cloud on title. Sure. Yeah. And then specific performance. Specific performance is suing to enforce what you agreed upon in a contract. Mm-hmm. So you said you were going to sell at 200 grand, let's say. Mm-hmm. Now you're backing out and you don't want to sell. Now right. I'm going to sue you for mm-hmm. specific performance, which the performance would be to sell to me. Yeah. So. Who coached you through that? Dude, honestly, I, <laughs> I didn't get really any coaching. Mm-hmm. I just, I remember calling a lot of attorneys. I didn't have my title attorney like mm-hmm. I do today. Yeah. I met him a few months after that, actually, mm-hmm. ironically. But I, dude, again, just resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. I started calling around title companies. I started speaking to attorneys. Um, I knew a couple guys at some RIA meetings that mm-hmm. were seasoned investors and, you know, kind of coupled all that yeah. information. So and, you had a community of sorts right. that kind of walk you through it. Yep. So again, got to be a little discouraging like the first deal right because like there's this there's this roller coaster right and for everyone like when you do a deal whether it's your first deal your 50 whatever bad things happen yeah right and in those bad things you're like man i can't believe this is real i'm gonna get paid (laughs) and then what yeah (laughs) right and it's a gut punch yeah it is so talk to me about like you know uh the adversity you face especially since this was your very first deal yeah so you know, the thought of the natural thoughts come out, which is, is this real? Now you start questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe real estate is bullshit. Maybe mm-hmm. you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not meant for me. Um, maybe I don't deserve this, right? All those thoughts ran through my head. Um, but I knew even when I started, and it's just my natural personality, I said, well, if it's not on the first one, then I'm just going to go stack up some more. So yeah. um, that was my mentality. And I, I made a decision when I got fired where it was, I literally told my mom, I was like, I am never working for anybody else again. And I remember saying that very verbatim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I stuck to it. So I, I didn't want to quit. And, you know, I kind of, it was, it sucked at the time, mm-hmm. but I took it almost like a challenge. I was like, all right, well, not every deal is going to be like, that was my mentality. I was like, well, not everyone's going to back out. Right. Um, and they didn't, you know, um, and it ended up clearing out. And I think my second deal was a few weeks after that. And that one closed. It was pretty smooth per yeah. se. And then the third one was, you know, some liens on it. The fourth one had some violations. So that was a whole nother learning experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just kept going through there. Okay. So you said, you know, first five deals, we're going to do 50-50. Mm-hmm. After that, do you continue working with them or did you like go off to your own thing? So I did. Um, 
I think I did like another three deals, but it was more he co-wholesaled them because mm-hmm. I didn't have a buyer's list still at the time. So I would bring them to him and he would kind of have like first buyer refusal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like a flat fee. It was like three grand or something. And he brought a buyer. And yeah. then after that, yeah, at that point, I was just I was just off to the race. And when your business, when when did it become a real business? I would say two and a half years uh, into it is mm-hmm. when I think I had joined the super group and all that. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I was ever in that room with, with those guys, and I, I still to this day don't know how I ended up in that room, but I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, just seeing how people ran things mm-hmm. and not treating it as a hobby. So yeah. it, I got pretty serious and intentional. Mm-hmm. Like KPIs started coming out, you know, things like that, where yeah. you start to track your marketing. And I, I was, I was intentional about it. Yeah. So, uh, Supergroup. Let's talk about Supergroup real quick. Yeah. What is Supergroup? Uh, well, let's the start secret there. society. What is Supergroup? <laughs> it, it was a secret society. Yeah. So let's start it. What is Supergroup? Yeah. So secret group or Supergroup uh, is a mastermind that mm-hmm. we're both a part of, actually. Yeah. Um, you came in like a little after me, but we've both been in there for a long time. Yeah. So it's a group of guys that were in other masterminds, mm-hmm. excluding myself because I was never in a mastermind <laughs> before Supergroup. So, yeah. But it's a group of guys that kind of got a little tired of the other masterminds. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, we're going to make this private group mm-hmm. and we won't charge ridiculous fees and all these dues. We'll just pay enough to make the events happen and we'll mm-hmm. travel and we'll be in non-competing markets. Yeah. When I came in, that's kind of how it was. Right. Uh, it still is that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a private, I would say it's a private mastermind. Yeah, per se. So the super super group, right? Because I remember like Donald Ross. Yeah. Right? So I just signed up for Beastmo CRM. I was like, <laughs> you know, this thing's like the coolest thing. And he's like, yeah, you know, this, uh, you know, I built this out because you got a bunch of people in super group asking for this for that. So I just made it. It's like, okay, okay, okay hang on. What super group? Tell me about that. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, you know, we got Scott Ooze, Joe Taylor, and uh, you know some of these other guys. And like, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> So you guys all just hang out, yeah. and you guys just share what's working in your guys' business. Yeah. How do I get in? He's like, oh, you're locked out. So what do you mean I'm locked out? I was like, ah, you're in Phoenix. You're locked out. I was like, okay, well, that sucks, yeah. right? I had to wait and bide my time yeah. uh, until a seat vacated. Um, but yeah, Supergroup is, uh, is, is such a great group because you got a good community of, of guys there that are truly go-givers mm-hmm. and are actually helping each other. Yeah. All yeah. right, so when did your brother get into your operation? Um, so he's my half-brother, but yeah, so we started together. In, okay. in, in the operation. So he, he had graduated from Notre Dame and, and I was fired from Merrill Lynch. He played football. His career was over. So when I heard the podcast, I stormed into his room one day um, and I told him, I was like, we're getting into real Younger estate. Brother. Yeah. And, and I was like, we're getting into real estate. Be ready tomorrow at 8 a.m. Yeah. And he was playing Madden, I think. And he just looked at me like, okay. And I just shut the door and I ran out. <laughs> so, and that was like, you know, the day after I cold called this guy. Yeah. So if only recruiting was so easy. If only recruiting, yeah, but again, you know, dude, look, I'm the type of person that when I want something or mm-hmm. when I want to go get something, it's latched on. It's a dog with a bone. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Whoever's coming is coming. Whoever's yeah. not, it's not. I'm going. Right. So that was the intention, and I, and I think I still carry myself that way now. It's just yeah. a little bit different, a little bit more poise, I would say. Well, but, you learn some things along the way. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So what were some of the struggles then, you know, like along your journey like, as, as you were growing it? What were some of the biggest struggles you face along the way? Delayed gratification is, is one thing that I'm 31 now. So when I started, I was 25. Mm. Um, you know, when you start making a little bit of money and you start having some success, you kind of try to, you count that, um, 
you add extra weight to that and you feel like it's never going to stop. So you feel like, oh man, I made 40 grand this month. Mm -hmm. No problem. I'll go get this car. I'll go buy a stupid watch, whatever it is. Right. And not that there's anything wrong with those kinds of things, but I've learned the biggest lesson is that there's a time and place. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't get overzealous ahead of time because I know some people that in the last two years, for example, that have gotten into this business and things, let's not kid ourselves, things were skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Everybody and their mother can make money. It was easy money. Yeah. So it created like a fallacy mm-hmm. of how good you were or how successful you actually were and how right. much you're making because it was so inflated. A little bit of overconfidence. Right. And, and now they're in trouble, mm-hmm. right? I see it across the board. And, you know, even myself, I scaled out my operation in the last year and a half to a size that was, wow, right? Mm-hmm. It was seven mil a year. It was great. But that also came with 120 grand a month overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, while the market is great, that's awesome. No problem. When you're right. having 500K months, no, no issue. Mm-hmm. Now, when the market decides to take a shit and the Fed starts to raise rates aggressively, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy stop. That's like a big train mm-hmm. that you have to slow it down. It takes like a mile to finally stop. Right. And it hits anything in the way. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the best lessons I've learned. Um, and it's just making another thing that I've learned over the last six years. I wish from the beginning, I would have thought a lot bigger. Um, That's definitely something that I, now I have the confidence and now I am thinking bigger. Mm -hmm. But I I think that when you're first starting out, you don't have a lot of self-confidence. You might have enough belief or self-belief to start, Mm -hmm. which is great. But you think smaller because you think that that's where you belong. Mm -hmm. And I wish I would have just thought a lot bigger. Um, You know, maybe some commercial deals, multifamily. Even though I did some, but I did the mass backwards, I wish I would have put more intention on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So what are some of your biggest wins along the way? We just talked about, you know, some of the challenges. What are some of the biggest wins along the way? Uh, financial or what? Or just in, in general? general? Dude, I, I helped a lot of people um, create serious financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I probably single-handedly changed a lot of neighborhoods, which is pretty cool to drive around them. Uh, a lot of people have come through my organization over the years. They've learned a lot, you know, their words, not mine. I've been able to be around a lot of cool people like yourself and all that. Um, the relationships is great. The money is also, you know, of, of course, incredible. For sure. But it's more proving to myself. The, the biggest one I've had is proving to myself that you, you can set out and do something and, and you can go a lot further than what you actually think you can. How does it feel saying that? After getting fired. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I wish I ran into the guy today. Honestly, I would just say thank you. And, and he probably wouldn't even know who the hell I am. But yeah. I would just say you have no idea who I am, but I appreciate it. Uh, so then, I guess, you know, talking about, like, realizing this, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's a point where you realize real estate could be real, mm-hmm. right? Might have been very, very, very beginning. What was that feeling like when you realized real estate could be real? That feeling was when I got my first check mm-hmm. or wire. Actually, no, it was a check. And I deposited it, and it was 6500 bucks. I think. Mm-hmm. It was more than I was making working 100 hours a week at Merrill Lynch in New York. So, And at this time, I'm living at home with my mom. So yeah. at that point, and then the, the second one hit, the third one hit, the fourth, and the fifth, probably within a month and a half from each other. Yeah. So it was the most money I had ever seen ever in my life. And that was proof of concept for me. That was literally everything I needed because all in all, in a 91-day time span, that's really not a long time. So to go from not knowing anything to, hey, I just made 30 grand in a month, that's pretty freaking cool. So that just forced me to drive harder. 
Sure. Because I saw it was possible. So then let's talk about, you know, you've done 75 million in transactions in your career. Yeah. But, you know, let's talk about someone where to build out their business to look like what yours looks like today. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things I'll have to do to build a business that looks like, you know, Willie numbers? So be careful how fast you scale. Mm-hmm. Um, less is more. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. Uh, the answer is not always, hey, let's throw more money at marketing. That was my answer. And, <laughs> and I think a lot of guys in the super group, too. It is an answer. It, it, it's an answer, but I don't think you're going to like the response that yeah. you're going to get, uh, especially not in an economy like what we're in mm-hmm. today. It, the last two years, I couldn't throw enough money at marketing. Yeah. Right. I, I, honestly, I should have thrown a lot more. And I thought I was throwing a lot with 100K a month. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, be careful how you scale. Make mm-hmm. sure that one thing I did with, with Charper and Gary and all that, awesome. I know you've done it as well. Gary Harper's an amazing individual and they've got an amazing organization. Yeah. Super plug to Sharper yeah. right there. But sure. really, it's, it's document and systemize your business mm-hmm. as you're going through it. It's much easier to do when you're a one-man or a two-man band or mm-hmm. women um, because everything's so small. So there's less processes. There's less everything. Right. We're in the same room. Hey, yeah. Will, did you talk to that guy yet? Yeah. Just right. document. <laughs> Simple things. Yeah. Like, hey, how did I go back for that reduction? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is, this is what didn't work. Well, mm-hmm. this is what worked. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So let's, let's design a system around yeah. that. Hey, the house is vacant. Okay, cool. What did we do? Well, we put a lockbox. Okay, cool. How did we do that? Well, let's write that down. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and if this, then that, right? Those right. kinds of things. So I wish I would have documented my journey sooner rather than later. Because mm-hmm. as you start to scale, and now you got a team of 5, 10, 15, like, oh, shit. Now I got to go back and, and backtrack. Because if you don't create a process, your employees will create one, and you won't really like it most of the time. <laughs> so, you know, that's why McDonald's is so successful. Right. Because there's two 16-year-old punk kids that can run a McDonald's mm-hmm. because everything's documented right. and everything's systemized. Can't screw it up. No. So that's definitely something I, I, I would be careful how you scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wouldn't be afraid to dream, and I wouldn't be afraid to invest in marketing. And yeah. make sure that you go deep before you decide to go wide. Right. So what does your organization look like today? What is the, you know, uh, all the people inside your company? So we went from an organization of about 20, I think at the top end, including VAs and everything, probably 25. Mm-hmm. Our organization today is probably like 11. Mm-hmm. We're a lot leaner, obviously, with the economic times. Yeah. We went from 120K a month to probably spending 40, 30, give yeah. or take on the month. We're, long story short, we're a lot leaner. Mm-hmm. We're going deeper. We focus more on the sales process, and it's more creative, sure. meaning it's not so much cash offers everywhere, running around with a hammer, and selling everything as a cash sale, right? Mm-hmm. I think you need to learn novations. You need to be good with subject twos. You need to be a little bit more creative sure. in order to fulfill your, the needs of that seller. Yeah. And, and in this economy, that's, it's clear as day. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So yeah. 120K a month to 40K a month. Yeah. Pretty big... It happened over a period Shit. of five months. Right. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. No. But like, for me, June 15th was a, was a big day. <laughs> Same for you? Yeah. All right. So talk to me about this journey, right? Because, you know, we talked a lot, like, you've done some substantial numbers. Mm-hmm. Really impressive. Thank you. To now downshift yeah. must have been a little painful. It is painful. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So um, let's talk about how you... What was the process in downshifting? I know it's not as exciting as a topic, but no, it's, it's not. a real But it's an important topic, and yeah. I think for, for a lot of people out there, uh, they need to hear it because yeah. I think one fallacy that people see is, you know, I did a lot of numbers, and, and, and I transacted a lot, 
but they don't really talk. A lot of people don't really talk about, well, this is what I look like today, mm-hmm. right? And, and are vulnerable about it because yeah. it's not always that way. Right. So it was painful. Um, it's hard to see 15 to 20 transactions a month go down to seven to 10, mm-hmm. right? Which is still respectable in my opinion. It's still right. 100 deals a year, which is a pretty high ticket uh, mm-hmm. or high volume organization. But you learn a lot through that. So one of the things that I learned as I was scaling down which no one teaches you how to scale down. They only teach you how to scale up. Mm-hmm. So that's the topic right there. Yeah. So as you're scaling down, because it was the first economic shift that a lot of us had experienced. Since 2017, all I've ever seen is this. When did you get in? 2007. Okay. So yeah, you, you got... Yeah. I got to cut my teeth in a different, yeah, in a difficult you, market. <laughs> that, that was a tough one, right? Yeah. You, you hit the airbag right at the beginning. Yeah. So I didn't, mm-hmm. right? So all I ever... I remember in 2017, people were telling me, oh, dude... This market's so saturated. Prices are so high. That was in 2017. <laughs> Look at where we are today. Yeah. Today, I wish I could buy everything at the prices I was buying in 2017 and yeah. 2018. So as you scale down, you start to notice um, mistakes and, and cracks. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? So I did all the numbers. We did over 150 transactions, give or take, in that year. And when I look back, after everything started to slow down, you know, you start to let go of some people, the noise kind of dissipates. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all the cancellations and everything that didn't move. And I did an inventory of it over the last 12 months. And what I found was an extra $2 million in revenue that somebody else converted, either mm-hmm. another wholesaler, because we didn't follow up. We didn't have the processes to do so because we were such a high volume activity. Mm-hmm. So you, what you learn is how to dial it down and really have your team uh, accountable and to, to dial into their leads. So I think a sales organization has the tendency to go for low-hanging fruit. Of course. And yeah, right. Why, why would you do anything otherwise? Mm-hmm. So follow-up sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the fortune really is in the follow-up, not to sound Definitely. cliche. I mean, you know, you're, you're a sales trainer. I mean, yeah. you, you know, what, what's the average touches? Six to eight, right? I it, think it, if you want to get a deal closed, is probably like at least 12. Yeah, exactly. And, and the average person touches it, what, two to three times? I don't think it's two. Exactly. So <laughs> I and, think it's and, one and a half. Exactly. So imagine that, right? I yeah. mean, that's a huge problem, but it's also a huge opportunity. Yeah. If you view it that way and you can train your sales team to do that mm-hmm. and you have systems, auto follow-ups, I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about, but you're already going to be ahead of the game. Yeah. And for a volume business like mine that did over 7 million to find another two plus, and that was when I stopped looking because I was just getting depressed. Imagine that. I could have been an eight-figure business is mm-hmm. what I just told you. Yeah. And that was just not by doing more, not by doing extra, not by marketing more, not mm-hmm. by hiring more. It was just following up more yeah. and having my team dig deeper, you right. know? So that's one of the major things that, that it was a pain point, but it was huge for me to rebuild the team back up. Yeah. So you had the patience to actually go through and dive through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I came home and my girlfriend was there and I was super pissed. And I remember she's like, oh, what's wrong? And I, and I, just, I just lost it. I, yeah. I, I was like venting about it. So I had an incident last yeah. year where I was going through this and auditing and finding <laughs> things out. And I saw like, oh, just these three, just these, these three deals alone was like 90K in lost revenue, <laughs> right? And I just left home. I, I, I went home early that day, <laughs> right? So I normally stay here five, six o'clock, whatever. Um, I remember leaving early, <laughs> getting home, sitting down, talking to the wife. Like, how was your day? I was like, ah, you know. <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> Not so great. <laughs> And I just looked at her. I was like, hey, you know, are you okay if I just, like, <laughs> go to the casino right now? Right? It's like, why? It's like, <laughs> feeling a little bit edgy right now, and I just don't want to be, I just don't want to say anything stupid at home. <laughs> just laugh. Just went to the casino, you know, just got all the anxiety out there. 
So uh, going back to your situation here, right? So yeah. you, you went through and you reviewed the notes, reviewed the pipeline, the CRM, and all that, mm-hmm. which is amazing. One of the things that uh, not a lot of people talk about are the difficult conversations that need to be had, right? Because you need to recalibrate your sales team mm-hmm. and you need to let some people go. Yep. But talk to me about those two things. Yeah, so I'm a data guy. Uh, you know, Mark Evans always says data, not drama. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that. I think when you blur the lines of emotion, now it's now you're making decisions based on emotion. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to do was firstly make sure that I had the data to back what the hell I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So once the data was there, first of all, I have as a leader, you have to take accountability right. your, your, your own self. So I admitted and, and I told my girlfriend and she was like, why are you upset at yourself? I'm like, because... I'm the guy at the top of the totem pole. <laughs> you allowed it to happen. Yeah, I allowed it to happen. And that's one thing that if, if you're a leader, you, you have to start there. Um, but I started looking through the numbers, and then, and then I combed through because everything was tagged in my sales force, and it was very easy to pick out, okay, this was the rep, this was the person, this is what happened, where were the notes, where was it? Because I wanted to make sure that I didn't, I didn't like go at somebody and fire them given that maybe that wasn't the scenario that happened, right? Yeah. So I had the full story. I started, I, I made it very simple. Uh, again, I'm a numbers guy. So yes, I have emotions and all that, and I care about my team, but I, I looked at where the bottom averages were, who dropped the ball the most. Mm-hmm. I had some conversations. I, I did do some layoffs right away uh, because it was so blatant mm-hmm. where it was clear, okay, this person literally doesn't give a shit. And they're <laughs> after follow-up one, it's like, psh, gets yeah. kicked out. And right. okay, cool. Now the market's not there anymore. So mm-hmm. this person's not going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then I just started backtracking and backtracking. And I started noticing conversations come from that. You know, hey, if we would have had this or, hey, we could have done that. Right. But it was, I allowed the organization to get complacent. Right. Is the long of it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I went through it. And I started, you know, laying people off. Um, and then I started to really tighten up the follow-up process. And then the first thing I did was, all right, well, this was the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what we've canceled in the last 90 days, and let's see if we could do a rescue mission there mm-hmm. because this is going to happen. And one thing I found was the average deal had closed from a cancellation on our end in 4.3 months. It was, it was almost to a science mm-hmm. out of 100 deals. So I had 100 deal sample size. So I'd say that that's pretty good. Yeah. So it was 4.3 months almost to the day where 80% of these things converted. Mm-hmm. And it was either a cash sale or a direct buy from a rehabber, yeah. or a sale on the MLS, which was a cash sale. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of worked backwards. We were able to save some more deals and all that. And again, it was just going through the process. I was waiting, you know, as we all were with the Fed, every decision. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to have to cut more. Okay, well, what's going on? You know, and in South Florida, we have a lot of cash. We have a lot of money down in South Florida. But I started seeing the, the big boys that are the serious investors mm-hmm. pull back. Yeah. And, and when I started seeing that, you know, we started to, we were already doing novations, which Brewer, shout out to Brewer, because mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a genius with novations. So we really started to hammer down on novations yeah. um, and, and sub twos, which I had done a little bit in my career. I've probably done like 20 of them. Not, I wouldn't consider myself an expert or anything like that, but I started to look at opportunities differently. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, getting those sales guys on board. Cause now you're like, Hey, this whole time, follow up however you want. And I was like, hey, we got to make yeah. sure we're consistent. We're in the notes, we're in the CRM, and we're yeah. consistent. Yeah. How was that journey getting your salespeople on board with that? Because salespeople don't like that. No, they don't. So how was that? They don't. So here's the funny thing about salespeople. They're kind of mavericks. 
and and you know, as yeah. we know, uh-huh. the best ones are Mavericks, right. in my experience. Uh, I don't know about yours, but uh, that's that also means that they're free spirits. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's kind of tough. And you know, again, it's it's the burden's on me because now I have to tell them, hey, everything we've been doing for the last two three years, which has worked great, wasn't because you're great <laughs> or we're great. It was because the market was so great. Uh-huh. So now we have to backtrack. So the short answer is, some people fell off right away. Yeah. Some people were like, "F this, I'm not doing it. Right. I don't want to be told what to do." You know, this is BS. Look at all the money I've made you, right? Those conversations. So that was an easy conversation for me where I'm like, well, there's a door. Um, This isn't the organization for you. Um, And then the other people, it was was a slow process to get them into it because it's tough, man. They're so used to feed me leads, feed me leads, 200 new leads a week in my organization. Yeah, in a week. I mean, it was spending a lot. You know, on average, some weeks would be 160, but that's still a lot, right? I had four or five salespeople at the time. And now they're going down to, hey, there's 60, 70 leads a week. Mm-hmm. And now you got to go deeper in your pipeline. Yeah. So now they get antsy and they're pissed. And they're looking at me like, why am I not getting new leads? I'm having the same conversation with the same person. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. The data says <laughs> that in four and a half months, this shit's going to convert. So mm-hmm. I need you to stick with them. Right. So it's a give and take. It's yeah. a give and take. Well, so this is something that Ren and I, you know, we talk about with sales leadership. It's something we, we, we coach uh, all our mentees on, on yeah. in this particular aspect. But, you know, managing salespeople is a very special <laughs> thing, right? Tell me about it. Right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I try to explain this to other people, right? Like, if you're, if you're managing, like, administrative people, right? General mm-hmm. uh, uh, employees, this and that. Like, it requires uh, uh, some humility. It requires empathy. It requires, you know, thoughtfulness and all these other things. And then you manage salespeople. It's like a special flavor, right? You ever watch like that Stephen he, uh, he video? He talks about, you know, emotional damage, right? Like there's like, there's like easy, medium, hard, and then Asian, right? <laughs> and what I try to uh, get people to understand when you're managing salespeople is like, you're managing a person who's got an ego, not a, not a big ego necessarily, but like an ego, like they're, they're a little more confident yeah. and this is the right way, regardless of whether it's true or not. Sure. Like they're more confident, yeah. right? They tend to be more independent, right? And ultimately, like you and me, they have the mindset that rules don't apply to me. <laughs> yeah, which is tough. <laughs> so you got to manage people with these three things going on yeah. at all times. So it's another level of difficulty. And it's also what, you know, to chime in here, it's also what makes good, great salespeople. What makes them great salespeople great. is yeah, exactly. why they're so hard to manage. Exactly. But it's, uh, it's a catch-22 for the business operator or owner because – I'm telling you that I don't r- rules really apply to me, and I'm this and I'm that, but they apply to you. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's where the dichotomy kind of comes into play. And you got to be more accountable in order to enforce those rules. Absolutely, yeah. So you're talking about going 120k a month, mm-hmm. 40k a month. Mm-hmm. What was 120k a month going towards? Mostly direct mail. Mm-hmm. So I came back to direct mail. Mm-hmm. Um, direct mail has been a constant for me. Um, once I started to actually make money and I started to understand it, um, we started building out lists and all that. I think at our peak, we were mailing out close to 200,000 pieces a month. Okay. Um, but I mean, was 120K like all direct mail? No, no, no. Mostly okay. direct mail. We had, I want to say at the height, 12 cold callers. Mm-hmm. Um, texting was like 7,500 messages a day. Some PPC was sprinkled into there. Not much. Uh, I'll be the first to admit, I, I dove into PPC, uh, Maybe I had the wrong people. I tried three different services. In South Florida, it is extremely, it can get very expensive to yeah. do PPC. Mm-hmm. And in, with PPC, if you're not on it in five minutes, it's gone. Oh, yeah. If you're not going to get on it in five minutes, don't even, don't even do it. Yeah. 
And 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 you know the cost per lead in South Florida sometimes can be five hundred bucks a lead, mm -hmm. maybe even a thousand, depending yeah. on the click work. Right. Um, and Homevestors dominates that a lot in South mm -hmm. Florida. So I tried the whole little approach of piggybacking off of Homevestors and copying mm -hmm. all their stuff. And if anybody from Homevestors is listening to me, oops. <laughs> but but yeah, it well, was I got mostly... a season assist from Homevestors. What's that? Because I copied it. <laughs> I got a season assist from them. Oh yeah, it was a very nice letter. So. We changed a few things and we fixed that problem. Good for them. All right, so 120k a month was <laughs> mostly direct mail. Yeah, and then sprinkled PPC and some cold calling. Yep, and texting and data. I mean, that was our burn rate like through the whole month. There was some salaries in there. That's mm -hmm. not all marketing, but yeah. Okay, so then 40k. Mm -hmm. What are you What are you spending 40k on now? So it's light direct mail, um, cold calling, and texting. So okay. I, I brought it honestly back to the base, and it's a lot of a lot of my money now is is being invested into remarketing into. What I have a CRM that has about 16,000 leads in it all mm -hmm. time. So I figured the best approach would be why don't we just start with the damn CRM mm -hmm. that we already paid for? Yeah. Um, so that was doing like once overs again and again. So I'm really trying to have the cream rise from the top mm -hmm. in the CRM. And then it's, it's getting, you know, uh, new, new leads in. Yeah. And then you were talking about uh, innovations and brewer method, right? So obviously you're in brewer method. Yep. So talk to me about how Brewer Method uh, impacted your business. So the first time I sat with Brewer, um, I, we were already doing, I think we were doing like four mil a year. Mm -hmm. Never done innovation in my life. Um, to the point where Brewer brought it up to me. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, my first thought in my head was, this guy. I'm like, who's this guy? Novation. <laughs> I was like, I don't need novations. I'm yeah. doing 400K a month. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, which was stupid by the way, kids. <laughs> so with that being said, once I learned Novations and I saw it, a lot of my dead leads and a lot of the leads that were, I call them tweener deals, mm -hmm. but where they're not, they're not wholesalable, but you can't really close on them because it's not a wholesale, it's not enough margin, mm -hmm. but you got just enough if, if you can work a Novation mm -hmm. where a dead lead can turn into 20K. Yeah. Right? I don't give a shit if it's 15K, which our average deal at the time was 35K. Mm -hmm. So, you know, face value, I was looking, I was like, what a waste, right? But when you inverse it, it's like, but it's not a waste because it literally is a dud right now. Well, it's zero. It's zero. <laughs> and, and by the way, it's negative because you paid for it. Yeah. You paid for the lead. You paid for the time. You paid for your employees, et cetera, et cetera. So you might as well turn it into something. Mm -hmm. So we started to do novations and we pretty much added it to all of our language on our contracts. Mm -hmm where I wanted to have that exit possible. Yeah, maximum flexibility. Correct, exactly. Yeah. So I actually was on the phone with someone else in Supergroup, actually, earlier today. Okay. And he's like, he just signed up for Brew Method. Okay. All right, I think he said he signed up for it yesterday. And he's like, Steve, I'm looking at this. I'm going through the modules. There's literally a thousand leads in my CRM right now that qualify for this. Like, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Dude, if, if, you're, if, you're in, like, if you're smaller, you might not see it as that big, but an organization like mine, where I looked at it, I was like, holy shit, this is seven figures. Yeah. I mean, right there. Right. And, and, and it's really, there's no extra remarketing or buying a list or, you know, you don't have to put them through the sales process again. No. It's just framing. You already spent the money. Correct. <laughs> They're in your CRM. Mm -hmm. And they've told you what they want. 100%. <laughs> and you can, and here's the beauty. You can give them what, yeah, what they want. Just give them what they want. Exactly. You yeah. just have to frame it differently. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, you say you also run your business in two languages. Yes. What is that about? I just wanted to make it extra hard. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, obviously my first language is Spanish. I'm in South Florida. It's no secret. Mm -hmm. I would probably say 35, 40% of my business. Um, the sellers are Spanish-speaking only. So you're 
dead in the water mm-hmm. if, if you can only speak English, right? Yeah. So I run it in two languages because we deal with a lot of sellers that only speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, it's tougher. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a different approach. In what ways is it tougher? So I was telling one of your, uh, your crew members here that he asked me the same thing. It's, it's more of a trust barrier. Mm-hmm. And Hispanic people tend to be more emotional. We, we like to have more rapport. Um, historically speaking, we're always kind of looking at someone like they're trying to pull one on me. Like, like I've a, heard that. Like a fast one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you have to kind of get through that. And it's, it's obviously the language is, is the first thing. Um, if you're a native Spanish speaker and you don't speak English and I'm speaking to you now in Spanish and, and I'm fluent in it, I don't sound bad. Your guard is already going to be dropped significantly because now, now it's like, all right, one of one of my people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from there, you can build rapport. Um, they're a little bit more rigid, um, Spanish-speaking sellers. Yeah. They're like, this is how it is. This is how it's going. You mm-hmm. know. So that's its own little. Uh, you know, they're, they're not as flexible per right. se. So you know, little nuances like that. But culturally, for me, I I grew up you know with a Cuban American household, so it's it's what I was brought up with anyway. So yeah, easy. Uh, and then recently you joined Collective Genius as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's close to a year now. But. Close to a year now? Yeah. So talk to me about like, because, you know, we're in Supergroup. Yeah. We're in Collective Genius. Talk to me about what, um, in Supergroup, you, you got all the, the, the KPIs, processes, procedures, actually running a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're also in Collective Genius. So talk to me about why a second mastermind and why are you in a mastermind? So I'm in four now. Four. Yeah, so I'm in four. Um, Look, the last question that you asked is the easiest one. Why am I in a mastermind? Mm-hmm. A mastermind changed my life years ago. So I got into Supergroup by the grace of God. I don't know how. Yeah, um, I would have vetoed that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't in. There. I tried vetoing you when you came in. <laughs> but anyway, um, but who's this Tran guy? But um, you know, at the time when I got into Supergroup, I I realized my first meeting, like a lot of things clicked for me. Yeah. So the mastermind's a simple one because I went through it verbatim what happened and and it skyrocketed my business so cg your other question was why cg why are you in collective genius yeah so cg was always like the rolls royce of masterminds Mm -hmm. in in my eyes and you know i'd always heard everybody talk about it it's in tampa so it's very convenient for me yeah it's about a three and a half hour drive and i i was shocked because i was like yeah there's a lot of guys out here Mm -hmm. that live three and a half hours away from me that's pretty dope kind of like you guys over here in phoenix yeah there's like 47,000 gurus out here, um, and everybody does real estate out here. Yeah. So I don't know how much real estate you guys have to buy here, but it must be a, a lot. lot. Yeah, it must be a lot. A lot. Maricopa's busy. I mean, we look at, I was told, someone came on the show, they're like, yeah, you know, like Phoenix has become the, the guru capital of the world. Like the Mecca. All right. It's oh, the yeah. Mecca. But it was Tampa. Yeah. I, it I, was I, Tampa. Yeah. Right. I, Matt Andrews is a great friend of mine, yeah. and I was talking to him because he's been doing this since like 98. Yeah. Um. And he was like, dude, this place used to be like it. Mm-hmm. Phoenix wasn't the thing. Yeah. It used to be Tampa. I'm like, well, what'd you guys do? <laughs> what, what happened? I'm like, why, why did everybody go to Phoenix? I think Sean Terry put us on the map. <laughs> yeah. And I think Matt Andrews, right? I think for being since 98, he looks really good. Yeah. Right. I call him old all the time, but I just like to mess <laughs> He's in town. He's in town now. Is he in town right yeah, now? Yeah, he was in Investor Fuel. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, he, that's the third mastermind that mm-hmm. we're in together. Yes. Family mastermind. All right, oh, you're so in that too? I'm in that too. You're kidding. I'm just kind of quiet. I don't oh, know. you're the guy that, that tags me with everyone in every video. 
at everyone. I mean, does that really matter? <laughs> yeah, you get me to look at every video for that reason. Are we talking about this right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. Actually, you know what? I want, I've, I've actually been meaning to record material about this, but let me touch, touch on that right now. Yeah. Because people watching this right now might be pissed at me because I always do it, <laughs> right? So, like, as a marketer, right, as a person that's trying to help people, am I better off not tagging at everyone or better off tagging at everyone? Better off. And I totally understand the people that get frustrated <laughs> with me tagging everyone. I totally understand why you're frustrated, I'm, I'm annoyed, right? You are one of them, right? Yeah. But the reality is, if I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires, is it better to tag at everyone yeah. and get this message to as many people as possible? Or am I better off not tagging people? Yeah. If my purpose is to create 100 millionaires, then I would argue it is my responsibility Agreed. to tag at everyone. I agree. I do feel bad <laughs> that people get upset about it, but the engagement that we get from it, not the engagement as far as like likes and follows and this and that, but the people that are getting value from it, mm -hmm. right? Because like we have people responding to these videos that we tag at everyone and they're asking questions and they're getting value. Yeah. So then how can I, as a person that wants to help people, I agree, not tag at everyone? It's it. You would make a perfect segue into my next point, which is why I got into education. Yeah. Um, for six and a half years, I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. I was the guy behind the scenes who built a crazy, awesome organization, in mm -hmm. my opinion. But I was like, nah, I'm not going to teach people. Mm -hmm. Nah, I'm not going to be on Instagram or social media or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I had a conversation with a friend, and he's like, dude, you have done some pretty cool shit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know your story personally. I know who you are personally. And you are doing a disservice, especially in South Florida, where, where we're from, that you're not teaching people this. Oh, yeah. And you're not, you, the fact that nobody knows you, but there's so many people that buy from you at one form or another, mm -hmm. but they don't know you. There's no face to it. It's sad because there's a lot of people out there that might be inspired or might learn something from you and mm -hmm. they can change the trajectory of their life the same way that you did from a Sean Terry podcast. All right. So that's kind of why it clicked for me. Um, it's doubly important because I am bilingual. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm, I'm teaching in English and in Spanish. So it's a rarer bird. So I'm excited to, to kind of empower Latinos and all that in, in that regard, because I think it's such an underserved community yeah. um, in, in our space. Who pulled you out of your shell? There's a bunch of people that pulled me out of my shell. <laughs> but Max Maxwell is probably, I got to hand it to him because three and a half years ago, he told me that. Um, once again, I, I kind of blew it off mm -hmm. because I was focused. It wasn't, to be clear, it wasn't like I blew it off because I didn't believe in it. I was focused on building my business. Right. And the, the fallacy in my, the story I told myself was, mm -hmm. well, I can't do both, you know? Mm -hmm. And, well, I, you know, if I'm not focused on my business, then how can I teach people? Mm -hmm. And what I should have done, again, could have, should have, would have, but what I should have done was do both yeah. earlier rather than later. But I'm here now and, and I'm better for it because I, I've been through so much. So to go full circle, yes. how did you connect with Max Maxwell? Through Instagram. Was there Instagram? Yeah. Okay. But you got to connect with him mm -hmm. through Supergroup. So no. So this, no. this is the actual story. This is how it happened. This is on air. So probably four years ago now at this point, Max makes a post. At the time, he had like 6,500 followers. Imagine that. He's like at 400,000 now. So and nobody with the 6,500 followers. Yeah. Like it, it, whatever. But <laughs> at the time. To, compared to who he is now? At the time, I had like three followers. One of them was my mom. So, you know, it was a lot to me at the yeah. time. So I, I saw him post a video, him mm -hmm. driving around for dollars with Landglide. And mm -hmm. he made a post, and I saw the Landglide for the first time. I was mm -hmm. like, holy shit, this is incredible. 
And I DM'd him and I was like, hey dude, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's this app called Langlide, whatever. And we started talking via DM, mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This led to months. Mm-hmm. And then we became friends and we, we started having phone calls or whatever. It was like our journey, wholesaling, whatever. Mm-hmm. And one day I was like, hey man, it's my birthday. This is like a year down the line. I was like, hey, it's my birthday. You should come down to South Florida. Yeah. He's like, you know what? I will come down to South Florida. We've never met. Comes down, family dinner. He shows up um, and we meet for the first time. Super cool. We became good friends. Mm-hmm. He flies back. He does his first We Live event. He calls me. He's like, hey, come to Charlotte in a few weeks. You're going to speak at We Live. And I was like, I, I've never spoken in front of anybody <laughs> in my life. This is, I don't even know what the hell I'm going to speak about. Right. And he's like, God, don't worry about it. Just, uh, just talk about your business and how you scaled so far. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, great. Granted, this is 2018. So I fly out there and the person ahead of me who speaks is Scott Oots. Mm-hmm. And he was well-polished. He had spoken in front of a lot of people. He was running like a $5 million a year business at mm-hmm. the time. So I shit my pants and I'm like, God, I got to follow up with this guy. <laughs> so I go up. I probably bombed the shit out of it at yeah. the time. And we go to dinner that night. And who sits next to me? It's Oots. Mm-hmm. And him and I start drinking. We start whatever talking. And he's like, hey, man, um, I, we, just, we have this group called Super Group. Mm-hmm. And we just let go of a guy that mm-hmm. was in your Miami market. Yeah. So there's an opening. And I'm going to vote you in. And honestly, bro, I, I don't know what the hell he was talking about. I had no idea what a mastermind was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, cool. Sounds great. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he was talking about. And next thing you know, Max is like, hey, you're in. I'm like, great, I'm in. <laughs> and I got back and then I realized, I was like, oh shit, I'm into this super group. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happened. But gotcha. that's full circle right there. Gotcha. And then, you know, you were talking about like how, you know, Max pulled you, you yeah. know, out of your shell. Yeah. You know, one thing, you know, going back to that everyone thing, like I actually had someone pull me aside at an event. And he's like, I had no idea you offered coaching. It's like, yeah, you know, I just don't like promoting my own stuff. Like, it just feels weird promoting my Isn't own stuff. Isn't that kind of ironic? Right? He's like, I wish you would have been more loud about it because I just spent money on this other guy that didn't help me at all. And I was like, oh. I can't tell you how many times now that I'm doing coaching and mentorship, how many people come to me and they say the same exact thing. They're yeah. like, dude, I just dropped 12K. I just dropped 15K. And I really didn't feel like I learned much. Yeah. And, and I'm like, wow. Like, yeah. that's, that's tough. You know? Right. So then, like, me being quiet is not serving people. Correct. And, you know, it, it may not appear, you know, for people watching, it may be obvious, it may not be obvious, but I actually don't like putting myself out there. That's know? a lie. He, he loves to put himself out there. <laughs> no, I don't. He can't get enough. But I do it to help, right? Yeah. And so, but yeah, when, he, when, when the guy said that, I was like, oh, now I feel like, <laughs> now I feel really bad about myself. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I want to get to uh, the audience's questions. Yeah. Uh, we got a whole bunch of people here. So uh, before we get into the questions, we're going to do a real quick commercial. These eight steps are why I was able to build a sales floor that produced over $20 million annually in wholesale profits. If you take and embrace these same steps, I know for a fact it's going to work in your organization too. Now, we only have 30 seats available in this classroom. I can't work with everybody. This is super personalized and super custom to your organization. I will personally work with each and every one of you to craft 
the language, the culture, the KPIs, the 15th and 30 day protocols and help you go home with a toolbox for leadership that is going to drive results. I hope that you can take advantage of this opportunity. During this two day workshop, I'm gonna be going over these eight steps and so much more that I didn't even have time to mention in this video. I'm gonna personally sit down with you on a one-in-one -on -one basis and make sure that you have the tools that are gonna get you success. This sales leadership program has a money back guarantee. If you don't see improvement in your revenue numbers, improvement in culture, improvement in accountability, we personally guarantee to refund the full amount of your payment. All right, so before we even get to all the questions, Corey, Thank you for the donation. I appreciate that. When are you going to have Roughneck to Real Estate back on, oh, man? I love Corey. Do you know Corey? Corey who? Corey Thompson. I've met him before, yeah. Yeah, Roughneck to Real Estate. Yeah, I love Corey because he's like, I can't go out there and blast people. I can't. <laughs> but Corey can't. <laughs> so I love Corey. So I'll get back to you on that. Uh, so open letter marketing. Will has put up massive numbers with our mailers. He's right through. He's right, though. It's a long game. So. Shout out, thank you, Open Letter Marketing. And you want to talk about who that is? Uh, yeah, so Open Letter Marketing, um, Justin runs it. Mm -hmm. um, he, so I used to mail with another mail house. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I don't really remember how I got connected, probably through a mastermind or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been using Open Letter now for over three years, I think. Yeah, is that Envelo? Um, That's the... Yeah, right, correct. So, yeah, so and we, he developed that after the fact, yeah. Yeah, so we, we, we partnered up with them. Cool. Uh, so if you guys haven't seen stuff that we're doing with Envelo, definitely check that out. Yeah. Uh, and I'd they're be, actually, sorry, but they're, they're a great mail house because I, I've done so much mail in my career, and I've seen it done badly on a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, they actually really mail what they say they're going to mail, mm -hmm. and they actually get your return mail, and they scrub it, and they do all these things. Mm -hmm. um, sounds so, like, yeah. Sounds like it's a, it's a hot issue. But an even bigger testament, right? Even a bigger testimonial importance. So open letter marketing. Uh, so on YouTube, Michael Lopez, we scale and got burned. What would you do if you had to start from the ground up again? So it's February 2023, and you're starting from zero. Uh -huh. What are you doing to build your business? Do I have money this time around, or is this from scratch? Uh, let's just say you lost everything in 2022. Right, you're at zero. Easy. So I, I would go pull as much of a list as I could buy mm -hmm. of of the highest motivated sellers. I would hop on a dialer day in day out, and I would text in between, and mm -hmm. I would just wholesale the shit till I had a million bucks. Yeah. And then, but in the process, one thing I would do much sooner rather than I did the last go around, I would hire yourself, people yeah. in masterminds and professionals, Harper, uh, Dave Richter, etc. All of that, and I would incorporate experts much faster. Yeah. And 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 one thing I did do though the last go around was seek a mentor very fast. Mm -hmm. um, I knew for whatever reason there were people that had been where I wanted to go, and I was willing to cut equity and or put money in their pocket mm -hmm. for value in their time. Well, you did that with your first five deals. Correct. Right. And that's how I approach things. That's why. For anybody listening, please take this as the best piece of advice I can give on this podcast. Do not approach someone, and I know why people do it. I get it. I used to do it too. But do not approach somebody and say, can I pick your brain? You should pick your nose. Don't pick my brain. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you should approach people, mentors, etc., people that that you perceive to have value for you. You should approach them with value. Right. Because they're getting bombarded all the time. Mm-hmm. So one way to do that, hey, I will split my first five deals with you 50-50 mm-hmm. if you teach me what you know. Right. That is a totally different conversation. If somebody approaches me like that, which they do now, mm-hmm. I am much more inclined to more listen receptive. and learn yeah. and teach. Yeah. Not, hey, man, can I take you out to coffee for 15 minutes and learn everything I can about real estate? I'm like, it's such an insult, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and what am I going to teach you in 15 minutes? Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, what people fail to recognize, right? If, if we have an organization, let's just say hypothetically, Hypothetically, we're only making hundred thousand a year. Yeah, right. That's fifty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Right. For me to take fifteen minutes to go have coffee with you, it costs me yeah like twelve dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. Like it literally costs me money to go. That's assuming I have a hundred thousand dollar year business. Correct. Right. Yeah. Odds are the mentor you're talking to is making more than hundred thousand dollars a year. Correct. Right. Okay. So there's a few things here. Let's break it down real quick. So you would call, yes. you would cold call, and you would text. Mm-hmm. What are you using the cold call? Well, back in the day, I used to use Mojo Dialer. Mm-hmm. Today? Today, I, I probably, I don't know that I would use Mojo. I haven't used a dialer because we've used a calling service mm-hmm. for many years. But okay. um, I've heard, um, what's the name of that, that dialer? I can't think of the name right now. But, okay. Uh, so, for, for the record. Multi-line dialers. We use Call Tools 2.0. Okay. Call Tools. That's the one. So, yes. how would you be texting? Uh, launch Control. Launch Control for texting. Yeah. Who would you be calling and texting? What list would you pull? Yeah, so it's an easy one. I'm in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of absentee landlords. So absentee landlord with some equity mm-hmm. out of state would probably be where I'd start. And tax delinquent, which is how I made millions from starting off anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got taught that by a mentor. And then pre-foreclosure. Pre-foreclosure yeah. right now in today's market is a great list yeah. because they're starting to feel the fire now. Mm-hmm. Forbearance is over. Yeah. So they've been sitting on the sidelines for a long time. Right. And I've picked off a lot of good subject to deals, um, which we can talk about one if, if we have the time, mm-hmm. which I'm actually, I'm pretty proud of. So Yeah. All right. So then you said David Richter for finances. Yeah. Right. Getting your financial house in order, your yep. business financial house in order. Correct. Gary Harper to shape your business. To systemize it. Yep. Right. And you said you hire me. So yeah. instead of me promoting it, why don't you talk about why you would hire me? <laughs> Well, I mean, you're just such a great guy to talk to. You know? yeah. <laughs> no. um, just the sales training, the sales training. I, I wish I would have um, rather than train them myself. Mm-hmm. But I did hire you, though. I know you did. You, That's years what I'm saying. Later. I want yeah, you to yeah. share like, what, how that helped you. Like, yeah. How did hiring me help your team? Well, number one, it was accountability. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was coming from a different party, not me, mm-hmm. the business operator right. and the owner who you have to see every day. Mm-hmm. So it was coming from an authority. So That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two. You have really good stuff. It actually works. Number three, uh, it's accountability. Mm-hmm. So your weekly calls and all of that mm-hmm. keep my sales team accountable. Mm-hmm. And they know where to show up. I, I, it takes the guesswork. I, look, being an operator, being an owner, already has a million things a day that I have to do. A ton of obligations. Yes. Where one less off my plate, which is the most important one, in my opinion, because it's a sales organization. Mm-hmm. It's where your freaking revenue comes from. Yeah. That's awesome. I can, if I can put a custodian in there that that's great and is a good steward of that, that's a huge thing off your plate. And to be honest, sales is not my natural thing. Um, I'm good at speaking to people. I've had to learn to sell and Mm -hmm. to, you know, to learn to be good at sales, but that's because I've had to learn. I don't think I'm a natural born salesperson. Right. Yeah. I think you're a natural leader, natural driver. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So, all right. So then let's talk about that sub two deal. Yeah. You're saying there was something you want to talk about. It's pretty cool. So 
a student of mine brought this deal to me. And um, again, the importance of having someone in your corner that knows what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. To maximize uh, the deal. So long story short, ended up buying the deed, 6K for the deed. The ARV on the house is 900K. All right. Now, let's stop there for a second because it seems like a huge disparity. There's a first position mortgage that I took sub to mm. at 410. And then there's another, there was a lot of liens, violations, bullshit on the property. Um, so probably the all-in figure is like 480 mm -hmm. with everything I got into it. The ARV is 900. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to do a cash out refi and I'm going to keep this property mm -hmm. and I'm going to renovate it, et cetera, and keep it as a rental. And a cash out refi, number one, is tax-free. So mm -hmm. who doesn't love tax-free? Right. Number two, it's going to pay itself off in cash flow. And number three, I started, and this is why I was proud of it, because it's, it's for your listeners, the mindset shift of looking at things. If you expand your time horizon long enough, mm -hmm. you'd be impressed with the different kinds of decisions you can make. Yeah. Why do I say that? I could wholesale this deal today and make 140 grand. No question about it. Yeah. I've done that enough times in my life where I'm like, okay, if I have the 140 grand, it's, it's not going to pay me ever again long-term, right? It's not mm -hmm. residual. So now if I expand it out to 10-year time horizon, that deal is worth a million bucks to me mm -hmm. over the next 10 years. I could also depreciate it. I can use it for tax savings. And the list goes on and on and on. Right. And over the next 10 years, I view it and I'm like, I can conservatively say, and I, I'm sure you would agree, I could probably cash out refi two more times in mm -hmm. the next 10 years. That's a full cycle, yeah. right? So I've done the math and I'm like, man, this deal is going to pay me out close to 900 grand over the next 10 years. Right. And I'm going to save a lot of money on taxes. So that's what I'm saying about l extending your time horizons mm -hmm. and just delaying gratification. Yeah. So tax-free money. Yes. And you're reducing your taxes. Correct. Right. So that's a double whammy. So you said it was, a, it was deeded to you for 6K. Yeah. What kind of deed? It was a warranty deed. Yeah. Warranty deed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, you had a homeowner with 410, yeah. first mortgage, a whole bunch of junk liens, and then the remaining 6K. Yeah. And I'm just curious. Yeah. Were you able to reduce or renegotiate all these other subsequent liens? Yeah, afterwards? of course. Yeah. So I, I'm in the process right now with the city. Mm -hmm. um, I'm at the finish line, really. Yeah. So it, it's a re it was a lot of hair on this deal. It's, mm -hmm. It sounds so clean because it's-, it's Well, the, the best deals are the hairiest deals. Correct. Now, the lady, the seller, we've helped her find a place. She was not in a good headspace. Like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that had happened to her. A roofer took, took off with all her money, left 3,500 loose tiles on a roof. Imagine in South Florida, which is one of the reasons why the violations came in. Mm -hmm. So hurricanes could have came in and blown those tiles and mm -hmm. hurt people uh, at any given time. So she's living in a really, really bad, poor condition, no water, literally no electricity. So we've, we've helped her with that. We've paid those things. We're helping relocate her. Um, and I'm going to clear off the foreclosure so that her credit doesn't have to get dinged and yeah. she doesn't have to go to bankruptcy, et cetera. Yeah, I think one of the cool things that, you know, people don't really talk about it, but, you know, something I learned along the way is that you can buy this deed for 6K and you get all these liens in between. Once you've bought the property, those liens, although they're tied to the property, they're also tied to the person. Mm -hmm. And when you come in, when Willie comes in, yep. It's like, hey, I'm the owner here. I see there's these, these liens, yep. but they're not my liens. Right. What can we do about this? They'll settle at a steep discount. So oh, yeah. for her, it was like $80,000 worth of liens or whatever. For you, it's like $8,000 $8, worth of liens. Yeah, if that. Right? Yeah. So just, you know, 
hopefully just you guys watch all the way through here like that alone right on top of him getting 900k <laughs> in tax free money later on yeah that you can learn like there's other ways to get creative on these deals correct yeah um all right so uh next question here is uh, the only smalls who is our guest today i mean Willie Numbers. What do you say? Uh, who is our guest today? Is Willie Numbers, obviously. <laughs> so David's asking. Come on, wake up. Uh, on IG, are you texting in Spanish? I do text. Yeah, some of the texts are in Spanish, but they're follow-up texts. Yeah. So I don't text in Spanish uh, right off the bat because I don't know who in my list only speaks Spanish. So it'd be a little tough to do. Sure. Um, but once I see that sellers respond in Spanish back, because they'll get an English message and they'll just respond back in Spanish, like. No sé qué esto, de qué hablas, whatever. Or they'll just tell you, like, in Spanish, yes, I want to sell my house, whatever, for this, because I guess they translate it. But then it will switch to Spanish. There you go. Not cold marketing, though. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. My cold callers, though, they, they're both, they're fully bi bilingual. Mm. Um, so they will pivot immediately. Gotcha. Uh, so, KL Real Estate on YouTube, do you do JV deals in South Florida? I absolutely do. What's the best way for them to bring you a deal? willjv.com is one of them um, my my instagram is another one um i'm very very active on instagram and then willynumbers.com so with a y mm -hmm. uh is my full website everything's on there and you can reach me out willjv.com yeah it's a brilliant URL. isn't it thank That's... you man you know i had some static from some people they're like oh i don't really know if i like it. i was like it's willjv like you willjv yeah but willjv i know it just makes sense a double entendre that's double entendre thank you steve yeah, that is you're enlightened steve you know that thank you you're an enlightened man <laughs> you really are yeah i mean i love opportunities um uh, you know we had max cash offers right yeah like, the reason why it was max cash offers it was that we'll give you the max amount of cash but my business partner at the time it was max yeah, he meant it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I was like, hey, we should just call it Max Cash Offers. Uh, so yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just silly, but I, I love the... It just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's uniform. Or like, uh, you know, our show is Certainty Talks, right? CertaintyTalks.com. But like, we talk about certainty, but also, you know, uh, the show is called, like, we're talking about certainty. So like, if you have certainty, it speaks volumes, mm -hmm. right? But also we're talking about certainty. So I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I might just be a total nerd. Uh, so, uh, follow up. Totally get it, but it's rough. Makes me reevaluate the group. I get the notification from. If I stay after an everyone, it's because the group is offering solid content. Anything else, and I'm gone. Oh, so that was nice of him. Okay. Uh, so, uh, YouTube Julio says did deal with Will. Super cool. Very knowledgeable. So that's a nice. Thank you. That's a nice plug from Julio. Thank you, Julio. Um, Julia on IG. When you find owners of thirty plus property rentals, what do you think the probability is they want to sell? Well, that's a great, great, great opportunity to do a portfolio deal. Mm -hmm. And I would try to structure owner finance on something like that. So let's talk about it. All right. So you got a lead, mm -hmm. 30 plus properties. Yep. Or you got a lead and you find out he or she's got 30 plus properties. Mm -hmm. What is your approach from when the lead comes in? Like someone on your team is like, hey, Willie, we got a deal. We got an opportunity. What is your uh, you know, procedure or process for that. I'm going to take that opportunity. Um, I'm going to take <laughs> So Willie is going to say, hey, let yes. me review this. Hey, let me review that. Okay. Uh, let me look at it. And I'm probably going to um, deal with that seller myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely going to want to meet with that seller. This is not something that I'm going to take lightly or do it over the phone. Mm -hmm. um, chances are that is a very sophisticated seller. Mm -hmm. That is an investor. Um, but I bought my first 16 doors. So some real life uh, feedback for her 
is I bought my first 16 doors from a seller who owned 450 doors that gave me owner finance at 4%. Yeah. So I got in the game only because I asked. Mm-hmm. So those are great deals that you can structure as a portfolio deal. Funds yeah. will buy that. Um, you have a more sophisticated buyer and or you can figure out ways to carve out some of the properties, keep them for yourself, sell the other ones at a profit. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Yeah. It's, it's a hell of an opportunity, assuming that the seller obviously is within the realm of reality. Yeah, yeah so I would say probably, Julia, w- reach out to Willie. Yeah. See, maybe you guys are working this deal together. Yeah, absolutely. Especially right. if it's in South Florida. Yeah. No question. So I think one of the things that you look at, anytime someone's got a lot of properties, there's this like ideas like they're too sophisticated, they'll never work with me. Right. Right. Like they're such a smart investor. Like they won't take me seriously. Sure. Reality is everyone's got problems. Mm-hmm. Right. If they popped up on your list, they popped on your list for a reason. Correct. Right. So I think that's the first thing. Like get out of, get out of this mindset that they're too sophisticated for me. Mm-hmm. Second, my default with a portfolio is they're probably older and they're probably more interested in owner finance than a cash offer. Yep. Right. They don't want to get wrecked on taxes either. Exactly. That's so a they, great don't want conversation. Pay, they don't want to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. And they enjoy the cash flow they've had this whole time. If you can give them that same cash flow, they're open to owner finance. Correct. Right? And, and the way that I frame an owner finance conversation is so simple mm-hmm. and it's always worked out for me, which is how would you like to be a landlord and get cash flow without being a landlord? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That question's an opener, and they're like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, listen, how would you like to save a shit ton on taxes? Mm -hmm. I don't say shit, but (laughs) how would you like to save a ton on taxes? And, oh, what do you mean? Not a 1031, but if you sell to me, and I'll put down a significant down payment, and you hold the note, you do not get wrecked on taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine if you've owned something where I bought, real-world example, someone's owned something for 25 years. They paid, let's just say, 100 grand. Mm -hmm. Now they're selling me that something for 600 grand. Well, their cap gains is 500. Okay? That's a huge tax burden. Yeah. Imagine if it's in the millions. Some people are going to have a seven-figure tax bill. Mm-hmm. Who, who do you know is excited about paying seven figures? No, people are going to do anything to avoid that right. legally, obviously. Yeah. And owner financing is one way. 1031 tax exchange is another way. Converting that seller into a lender, great way. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with all that money? That's a natural conversation I'm going to have with that seller. Hey, Mr. Seller, I know you're getting a million and a half out of this. Have you thought about what you're going to do with that money? Chances are they have not. Yeah. <laughs> Probably going to sit in the bank or go to some stupid wealth advisor. Right. <laughs> right. You can loan, you, you know, you can you loan me that money mm-hmm. and I can put the money to work for you. Securitized yeah. by an asset first position. Easy conversation. Right. Easy segue. Yep. So I think that's powerful. I, there was someone at, uh, uh, within CG actually, he was talking about how he does portfolio deals. He's like, yeah, you know, we have. Yeah. I can't like, remember his name. Who is it? Um, it was Lance. Yeah, dude. He did a he did a two and a half million dollar deal yeah. off of forty homes. Yeah. Two and a half million dollar assignment fee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and 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 the same thing. It's like, yeah, nobody markets to me. Yeah. And he's well, like, you're kidding. Yeah. He was the only one that was talking to that owner. Correct. And yeah. that's another thing too. You know, um, I've started to focus on bigger deals, mm-hmm. like land split deals, multi-million dollar deals, because think about it this way: a three hundred thousand dollar property, ten percent rip on that is thirty K. Mm-hmm. Okay. $2 million property, 10% rip on that, 200K. Yeah. Could be bigger. And Slightly different conversation. Less competition. Mm-hmm. A lot, just by default, by what you said, which is, well, a lot of people, those people aren't going to want to deal with you. Yeah. Well, great. That means 98% of people aren't talking to these people. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I remember we had, uh, had drinks with Tim Brotz one night. Yeah. Right. Again, going back, you know, DG, right? We're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And I just asked, like, 
Tim, how are you doing these deals, these apartment deals? Like, how is this happening? How does it even make sense? Like, aren't they more sophisticated? You know what he said to me? Same exact thing we just said here. They've got problems too. Yeah. Right? You don't think rich people get divorced? <laughs> rich people get divorced all the time. Rich yeah. people don't have bad tenants? Absolutely. Rich people don't get code violations from the city? They do. Yeah. And, and the thing is, they do have problems. And when their problems arrive, they have more zeros attached to them. Yeah. So just remember that. Right. They're much bigger problems. Much bigger problems. And therefore, we get paid. And also, they better. value their time differently. Yeah. Where they value, they, when you're making money, your decision making is much quicker. Mm-hmm. You're not, well, I got to think about it. Da, da, da. No, I value my time. You're telling me it's cash. It's faster. I, I, put, I put a premium on that. Not just value the time, but they've got no problems with you making money. Correct. Because they, their relationship with money is different. Correct. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. All right. So uh, what does your business look like right, right now versus your first year in the business? First, my first year in the well, my first year in the business was a two-man band. Um, it was like that till almost my second year in the business when we hired our first VA. Mm-hmm. Um, my business today is seven VAs, six cold callers, um, three in-house people, and myself. Yeah. So we we used to have a lot bigger team, but we used to have a project manager. We let go once we started slowing down on rehabs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. What freedom does real estate afford you? The freedom of choice. And I'm probably, you're probably going to ask me, what do I mean? Yeah, I was going to exactly, exactly <laughs> where I was going with this. Yeah. Um, the choice to, to decide what I want to do with that specific asset mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. Um, for example, this sub two deal could wholesale it, make a bunch of money, could rehab it, make more money, could keep it, cash out, refi, tax free, make money for life. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Yeah. Uh, besides financial freedom, what else do you love about real estate? That I never stop learning. And just when I think that I'm hot shit, I'm not. <laughs> and, and there's always a level up from there. So, you know, I, I would venture to say that I've mastered the single family game and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I feel very confident in that. And there's still stuff that I'm learning day to day. But now I'm playing in the multifamily space. And it's a totally different conversation, totally yeah. different lessons. Um, I'm, I'm playing in a different conversation now. Yeah. So there's always a level up in real estate. And the more you figure out, the, the coolest thing, in my opinion, about real estate is that since the dawn of time, it's been used by wealthy individuals to mitigate taxation and for perpetual growth of, of wealth. Yeah. Once you figure out that game, that's a totally different conversation. Yeah. And now it's like, it, it's literally like the game of Monopoly, where now you're playing with assets and you're like, oh, what if I could do that? What if I could cost seg that? Well, you know, and you can do all these creative things and I'm just scratching the surface. So it's, it, it, it's crazy how much I can, you know, you still learn day to day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is your why? So I come from a single mom and a single grandmother, um, didn't grow up with money, but my why was always to be able to help them, um, and retire them. And, you know, I bought my mom a house in 2021. Awesome. So that was the best real estate uh, transaction I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So for me, my why was, was always them, you know, yeah. and, and it's just you know, like, I'm getting like watery right now. just talking mm-hmm. about it. So yeah, it's, it's always that. So anytime I, you know, I've faced adversity or anything like that. And anyone listening to this right now, um, if your why is that big, like, it doesn't have to be your family, whatever, mm-hmm. but if your why is that big and it's, and it's unmovable, um, there's nothing, nothing that'll keep you down for more than, you know, just a temporary time. Yeah. Tell me about the house you bought your, you bought your mom. I bought my mom a house in Boca, um, East Boca. It's nice. And uh, I bought the house like right after COVID. 
So I picked it up for like 500 grand. It's probably worth like 950 today. Mm-hmm. So kudos to my mom. She's got yeah. a bunch of equity in it. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, I had reached a certain accolade and um, a certain amount of success financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and my birthday was coming up, funny enough. And I wanted, I was kind of like thinking like, I want to get myself something like a gift, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And then it just hit me. I was like, you know what? I have all this nice shit and this and that. Um, my mom is also a flipper, by the way. So I taught her how to fix and flip and she's crushing it. She does like 20 homes a year by herself. Oh, wow. Yeah. My girlfriend actually works with her and, and they do projects together. So it's, it's, it's an all family affair. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and I spoke to a buddy of mine and I was like, you know what, man, I think I'm gonna buy my mom a house. Um, cause that's like the greatest gift I can give myself. Mm-hmm. So I took her out to lunch and I thought I was just gonna tell her, Hey, I'm, I'm buying you a house. And it was just going to go over no problem. Um, so an hour of crying later at the lunch, it looked like I had fought with her or something. And she just broke down, was yelling and everything. And oh my God, it was like a, a, a disaster. And it was at a public place. I'm like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. It's just not how I planned this. But um, yeah, so I bought her the house and the closing and you know renovated it. And she lives in it with my grandmother and they love it. So Why was she yelling at you? Oh, she was just like yelling because she was so happy. Like, wow. like she was literally, she's Cuban, man. She's just like, <laughs> she's just yelling like for anything and just crying and no, you're not going to do that. And like all these things came out. I was like, listen, it's happening. So you're not going to take this away from me. I was like, you did everything for me. Yeah. Don't take this from me. Yeah. And I started crying and it, it was just not how I planned it. I thought it was just going to be like, hey, by the way, I'm buying your house. She's like, oh, all right, thanks. And then we were just going to go home. Yeah. And that's not how it worked out. So, so this was, you told her. Before you closed? Yeah. So, well, I told her, you know, I'm, I, this is what I, what I want to do, mm-hmm. pick a house. <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't going to buy it for her and all that. Yeah. So then that was the process. So what was it like when you handed her the keys? It was, dude, uh, man, it's, uh, it's surreal. Um, yeah. Every time I go visit her, it's still, it's, it's like, it gives me such peace of mind. Um, no matter what turmoil or whatever, like ups and downs mm-hmm. in the business or whatever. When I go to sleep at night, at least I know. There's something there that, and she's a stud. She makes her own money. Mm-hmm. Like she, she does well, but it's something that at least a little bit of something that I, I know no one could take away from her mm-hmm. um, and my grandmother and they're comfortable and it's a really nice house with a pool and we can go over there and it, it's, it's a peace of mind that, that nothing, you know, can replace. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love this story because like we all talk about like, you know, what's your why, you mm-hmm. know, this and that. And like the idea, like it, there's a lot of adversity in building a business. There's a lot of adversity yeah. in sales. And if you're clear on your purpose, then you can get through that adversity, mm-hmm. right? So it's cool to see, like, not only did you have your purpose, but you fulfilled it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of things I haven't fulfilled yet. Um, but on that one, you were clear. And but on that, that one, one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, there's, there's nothing, like, if the last six years were worth nothing, if, if it was just worth that, then that's everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, What's your biggest struggle today? Biggest struggle today. I wish I had 28 hours in a day. <laughs> I really do. You just need some time management. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, man, my biggest struggle today. Honestly, man, I feel like I, I've, I had a rough last year and a half. So many things were being thrown at me. The economy, you know, bad partnerships, whatever. Where I feel, I feel more clear than anything. Um, so I... I actually feel like I don't have a huge struggle right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, I guess the struggle would be to make sure that I stay on track and that I stay as focused and committed and as hungry. 
um, even when, when you get higher up. Um, yeah. And how are you resolving that? How are you ensuring that? So my network is big. So accountability, you know, through the masterminds and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that, you know, one thing that I would tell anybody here, if you're in a committed relationship or anything like that, make sure that your spouse or your significant other or whatever buys into the dream too. Um, it's very difficult to go on a path with someone else Mm. and they don't fully understand the path that you're on or they don't agree with it. So make sure that you guys have some pretty clear cut goals and you're running in the same direction. doesn't mean that you have to be the same, but that that you're both going to support each other. Yep. How will you know when you're successful? How will I know? Mm -hmm. I'll let you know when I get there. How are you measuring it? Fulfillment now. Mm-hmm. It's not a monetary thing for me anymore. Um, yeah. Once I started educating people and seeing, you know, I started hosting live events in South Florida. Yeah. The amount, I, 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 I know it's going to sound super corny, but the amount of fulfillment that I get from watching somebody come to me and hit their first 20, 30K deal mm-hmm. and that, that light bulb goes off. Yeah. I, you know, I could go do a 200K deal and I'd be excited for like a day. It's and that's that. But it's not the same as you know. Yeah. So, well, I mean, for me, I, mean, I, I got in the, like a lot of people, we get into business for money. Yeah, no shit. We get into business <laughs> for money, but the money doesn't really drive you after a while, right? No. But when you see other people winning because you helped them, like that can fuel you forever. The dopamine you get from that mm-hmm. far exceeds any uh, dollar figure. Yeah, it, and, and I'll say this, um, just kind of couple what you said. I'm more in a race, and this is just, Maybe somebody on this thing needs to hear it because I know I wish I would have heard it before. But I'm more in a race today with myself and I've kind of accepted the fact that, hey, I'm, and I'm good with, I'm running my own race. Yeah. Um, I think comparison is the, the mother of all suffering. And I think it's very easy in today's society to see what somebody's doing or to see me up here on an interview. It's like, oh, I wish I had what he had or yeah. I wish I was there. But you don't really know the full backdrop behind it. Um, you have to run your own race. Yeah. And as long as you see that and you live that, dude, you will make it so much further, so much faster. Um, and I wish I would have seen that earlier. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so wise. You know, we talk a lot about uncertainty talks is like, you know, uh, play your game. Yeah. And nobody wins a race. They don't want to be. Correct. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's powerful. And life is an infinite game. You know, it I is. used to think I, I, it's so crazy. I used to think if I could make 200 grand a year, then all my problems would be solved. And I can tell you from personal experience, far exceeding that goal, it just created a whole other set of problems. <laughs> now, I wouldn't trade them, but yeah. it's not, it never stops. It's, it's always it something stops. else. Yeah. What would be the fun if it is stuff? Exactly. No, we all be bored. You're wired to solve problems. Correct. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, what is your superpower? What is my superpower? Consistency and yeah. resiliency. Yeah? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, how are you consistent? <clears throat> when I latch on to something, I latch on. So consider it done. Yeah. So um, when I got into education and all that, it was just, that was it. It was yeah. dialed in for me. And, and I said to myself, I was like, I'm going to be the number one educator in this space in English and Spanish. That's a goal. That's an affirmation I say every day. And yeah. so it shall be. So Game on. Uh, game on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Steve, I got you on the language one, though. But you, you got Mandarin. That's that. Um, you know, I, I love that you said consistency. So I was on Rafael Cortez. I was at a studio yesterday. We yeah, recorded yeah. a podcast, you know, and we, we made the joke, right? Like <laughs> entrepreneurs, like, you know, I will do whatever it takes. 
except for consistency. Like, let's just <laughs> yeah. let's leave that one off the table. But yeah, right. everything else, I'll do yeah, anything yeah. else except for consistency. Yeah, consistency. <laughs> listen, man. Um, I know it's such an unsexy word. Um, it's not cool. It does. It's, not, it's cool. not flashy. But dude, consistency is is honestly probably the most underrated thing because if you do anything consistently, and I'm not talking about for you know years and years and years. Obviously, you're gonna change course if it's not working, but Dude, 90, like, whether it's your health or meeting new people mm-hmm. or starting a business or doing a new activity in your business, just commit for it for 90 days, a quarter. It's really not anything. But if you track those results and you consistently put up those, those efforts, dude, in 90 days, I guarantee you, it's going to be a totally different outlook. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. And I, if people did more of that instead of the pizzazz and the flash, you'd get there. Mm-hmm. You'd have the, the pizzazz and the flash. Yeah. You know? So no, that's an absolutely great point. Uh, so final question here is, what book have you gifted more than any other? Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love that book as well. And, you know, again, I say this from time to time, like, that's one of the two books that most successful people have. Yeah. Right? That one and, and I, well, this one I haven't really gifted, but uh, uh, I was about to say Get Rich or Die Trying, but that was a 50 Cent album. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll, I'll show you. I actually have that poster in my office. <laughs> no kiyosaki i mean obviously yeah. um kiyosaki's the the legend yeah uh, absolutely rich dad poor dad is is a staple so i want you to think about a message i'm gonna leave all the listeners with while i make just a couple of quick announcements cool guys if you got value today please like subscribe share comment it helps us reach more people and we do have our leadership event coming up in just four weeks actually i think it's three and a half weeks so if you're interested in coming up to our sales leadership event text leaders it's 33777. And be sure to tune in next week. We got Mark Delator coming out uh, to do your show next week. All right. So, last thoughts what message would you like to leave everyone with? It's a good question, Steve. If you're looking to get started um, or you're looking to scale, regardless of where it is, um, I am in the space now to mm-hmm. help and empower people to do that, mm-hmm. particularly in South Florida. The message that I'll leave is that I'm looking to, I've been putting together live events. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to take that all the way. Um, it will be the premier event in South Florida yeah. within the next year or so. Um, quote me on that one here. And, you know, I'm looking to bring a lot of what I've seen in Phoenix to South Florida. Mm-hmm. So if, if you really want to work hard and you want to get to it and you want to learn this business or scale it, hit me up, contact me, and I'd be happy to help. How can I attend one of your live events? Just be there. Just be there. <laughs> you mean you personally? No, anyone, anyone, oh. right? Like someone's well, I listening. I you there, Steve. Of course, of course. You gotta fly the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, you you book a first round trip. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk. So, but generally speaking, someone's listening. Yeah. How can they attend your live event in South Florida? So I do a webinar every Tuesday mm-hmm. at six p.m., uh, yeah. which is one hundred percent free. And then every month we're going to be doing these live events. So mm-hmm. we always post them on Instagram, on Linktree, everything. And it's just a live event. Um, I host them with uh, my buddy Henry, mm-hmm. and we're doing them in Fort Lauderdale. So gotcha. eventually, we'll outgrow that venue, and you know, we'll, we'll do it. But but it's free to attend. Anyone can go. I'm gonna start having guests come on, mm-hmm. but it's really a live Q and A, and it's a networking event as yeah. well. Um, we can answer anything and run real deals, real time. Deal with real issues from people. Um, again, whether you're you've never done a deal, or you're doing three, couple deals a month, and you want to scale to seven figures. Yeah. Yeah, anything is, is free game there. Awesome. Very cool. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? 
Instagram at Willie Numbers, TikTok the same. WillieNumbers.com is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my information is there. Um, and uh, WillJV.com as well. Awesome. Thank you yeah. very much. It's been Appreciate an absolute you, pleasure. Steve. Glad to Thank have you, you out here. I appreciate it. See you guys later. Take care.